0: Welcome to Grace for the Tryhard, a place where we tryhards can be reminded of the grace we've been given and be empowered to walk in it every day. Do you ever feel like no matter how hard you try, you aren't good enough? Have you struggled with shame and want to experience more freedom in your walk with Christ? Do you feel inspired and empowered when you hear other people's stories of transformation and healing? If your answer is yes to any of those questions, I'm right there with you. Being empowered to live and work out of grace is possible, and here we are learning how to do that together. No need to show up polished, poised, or perfect. Come as you are and join us as we experience God's grace together. Hello everyone, happy 2024. I am so glad you are here listening to our first episode of Grace for the Try Hard in 2024. You may already notice that I sound a little different. I have a cold right now. I'm recovering, feeling a lot better, but still don't sound a lot better yet. Please ignore just my stuffy sounding voice. Um, Today is part three of an interview with my dear friend Andrea about her life in her 20s. She is now in her third year of law school and is graduating soon and has a job lined up, which I think is pretty amazing and I'm really excited for where God is taking her. Um, But this episode, we talk a lot about pretty deep and heavy things, um, such as justice and mercy. I think it's really cool how um, God has deepened Andrea's understanding of justice and mercy through her experience in law school. Um, These aren't just, you know, philosophical things. These are real situations and (laughs) she's dealing with real people. We don't dive into every single thing about Justice and Mercy. This is just um, a short conversation about Andrea's personal experiences and, and how her thoughts have developed. I think it's pretty fascinating to see how all these ideas play out in our justice system and that's why I truly love talking to Andrea about them. This discussion goes deep pretty quickly, and it's okay if you have differing opinions than Andrea and I, but I hope this conversation gives you something to ponder and talk to God and others about when it comes to justice and mercy. Enjoy! Let's jump into season three of Andrea's 20s um and that's kind of where we are now. Actually it's like almost 3 years ago, which is insane to me, like absolutely insane. So how about you share just a little bit about like your journey into law school?
1: Again, similar to like Maastricht and really deciding to go there, there are parts of it that are a little fuzzy to me that um I guess I just trust that this was God's path and now I am pretty confident that it was. Um but I, you know, maybe about three years into working retail, or actually a little, little earlier than that, maybe two to two and a half, I started to get restless, you know, and I think I was getting a little bit worn down from the feeling of like, I don't have a direction. Like, what am I working toward? I'm a very goal oriented person. And it just felt like there was no goal, you know. Um, and so... I, you know, started talking to some people, started praying, started thinking about like, okay, what are some things that I've enjoyed in the past? Like, what are some skills or some things that I feel like I bring um, to the table in a work environment? And I had um, dabbled in law in high school. And I really mean like dabbled like a little bit. I took AP US government and constitutional law or something along those lines and did like a moot court tournament and learned about um essentially like the bill of rights and i was just like wow this is so cool like why have they not told us this until we're about to graduate high school seems like we should learn a lot sooner and honestly maybe we did learn some of that sooner and i just forgot it who knows but anyhow it like really clicked my teacher was really great so i was like okay well i know i kind of like law but I was also terrified. And I talked to some people during undergrad about it. Like, I think I was considering it a little bit loosely. And they're like, well, it's a lot of reading and a lot of writing. And it's hard. And it costs a lot of money. And it takes three years of your life. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm good. You know, like, I'll pass. But I think uh, God started to bring up some of these, like, through my discontentment in my um and my restlessness, he started to bring up some of those questions again, like, well, maybe, you know, maybe I would actually enjoy law. And I knew from retail that I I like helping people and like making an impact. And something that was missing from my consulting job was I was pretty much behind spreadsheets and like doing like numbers and stuff all day. I didn't feel like I was positively impacting people in the kind of direct way that I needed. Like it definitely was a positive impact. We had clients, we're helping them with their problems. But like, I wanted to help people with the, almost like the basic stuff, you know, like, I don't know, how can we guarantee that you are making a livable wage when you have a family of six that you're feeding on one guy's hourly income at Dick's Sporting Goods? Or um, how can we provide access to like higher education or job training for people that are at Menards who I think are brilliant, who maybe can't afford to go to four-year college? but who could like refine their skills and be able to use them in a positive way. Um, and obviously like around this time too, 2020, there's a whole lot going on in our country with COVID with um, the George Floyd murder and a lot of protests. And so all of these things are kind of like circling in my brain. And I, I decided like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm just going to study for the LSAT and see how it goes. And so I took a class, did all the things, took the LSAT and I got a very mediocre score, and I oh. was super bombed. <laughs> oh, <my gosh. laughs> and, then, and then I quit, and I was like, all right, law is not for me. No, um, I, oh. <laughs> it, 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 it required some soul searching. Like, I was, after taking that first LSAT and being like, man, I don't know that I'm going to get into that many schools with this score, let alone get, like, the kind of scholarship held by my need. Maybe this is not God's path for me. And so I took a step back continued working, prayed some more. And I was, I just felt unsatisfied. Like there's more here. There's there's enough in me that's interested in what a legal career could do that I, I need to give this another shot. And so I studied for the LSAT the second time around. And this time, instead of like two or three months, I think I studied for eight or nine. So it was like, oh yeah, it was like a longer amount of time. I dropped down some of my work hours so that I could be studying more. I was all in. And I was texting you and Travis, or maybe we talked, like, the day before I got my score. And I, I had just totally convinced myself, like, I'm going to bomb it. And, like, this is, you know, second second ch- time is not the charm. And I'm going to walk away. And this, you know, I was just, I was ready for the worst. Um, and then I was just really pleasantly surprised. It went, um, it went quite well. And because of that, a lot of doors, like, started to open up as I was submitting my applications. And... Notre Dame actually wasn't necessarily on, like, the top of my list, Um, but I think as I started visiting other schools and just, like, considered faculty and alumni and – like, Notre Dame's pretty national in terms of where it sends people, and I liked the idea of that, because I didn't know where I wanted to land, so I didn't necessarily want to be in Indiana the rest of my life, no offense, Indiana, so, uh, yeah, I, I settled on Notre Dame, and people ask sometimes how much the football program played a role in my decision. (laughs) And this is completely, like, as objective, like, as truthful as I can be, as transparent as I can be. It did not play a role in my decision. I hear this, people. I did not come to Notre Dame because of the football program. (laughs) Am I glad that they have a a pretty quality football program? Yes, I am. Am I every home game? Yes, I am. But I did not choose to come to Notre Dame for the football. I just need that to be clear.
0: (laughs) I'm dying. Oh my gosh. Okay, so we just need to give some backstory because this is way funnier if you know Andrea really well. So, like we talked on the last podcast, we have the Gucci squad, me, Andrea, our friend Travis. And one thing Travis and Andrea bonded over is their love of football. (laughs) Like, love of football. So, Travis went to Penn State. We went to Indiana University. Indiana University does not have a great football program. Just saying. Um, But... Uh anyway, so yeah, so they both love football and that was like I feel like at least 30% of our conversations was about football. And I would just be like da-da-da-da-da football, blah blah blah, listening, all this stuff. Yeah, the thing is I I like sports. I like playing sports. I don't love watching sports. I know the gist of football, I know the basics. I could watch it and I would enjoy it, but I don't just like watch it for fun, you know. But, um, a lot of our text threads would also be you guys talking about football and Joe and I, my husband watched Seinfeld like a year ago and we went through the whole season (laughs) and there's one episode where, uh, Jerry and, um, George go to dinner with, um, Elaine's new boss and somehow Jerry gets out of it. So he goes home and George is with the boss and the boss is like, they're just not connecting at all. And George is like, so you like... You like the Yankees? You like baseball? And he's like, no, not really. And he starts talking about something else. And George is like, I'm so bored. And then it just pans to Jerry sitting on his couch, like, super relaxed. And, and he's watching a sports game. And on the TV, the announcer says, you gotta love sports. <laughs> <laughs> and that just felt like a definition of me as you guys' friend. Like, you guys are talking about all the different things. And I'm just like, you gotta love sports. So accurate. So, you just saying this whole, like, Notre Dame thing, <laughs> that was so amazing. Because <laughs> I never asked you that. I was never like, hey, are you going because the, the football team's good? But I can imagine other people asking you that. And honestly, I feel like such a noob. I don't even know if people say noob anymore, but someone who doesn't know anything <laughs> about about football. But I'm here for the fun. I'm here for the support. I'm here to clap when when things go well. Do you boo? How do you feel about booing at sporting events? I'm not a booer. I'm also not a booer. I mean, I think, hmm, would you boo at a ref? No. Like, for a bad call? No.
1: I understand. I'm not judging people who boo. But something about it, like, I just don't like the idea of putting someone down, you know? And to me, it just feels like that's the epitome of, like, a put down.
0: Yeah. Okay, anyway, back to what we are talking about. So I want you to share a little bit about your ad, your summer adventures because you had two summer adventures in law school and kind of just like give the people where you went and what was like your big takeaway from those summers.
1: Yeah, um, I, I wanted adventures during my summers and I most certainly got them. Um, my first summer, I went to Boise, Idaho and that, so that decision was definitely one that like I prayed a lot about and I talked to people about because it felt super it felt like a big decision you know like I'm a midwestern girl and the work was with um people who were on death row it was um what's called habeas corpus but specifically capital habeas corpus um habeas corpus means like present the body or whatever and essentially what you're arguing when you file like a capital habeas corpus motion is that somebody, the government, is holding somebody and they should be released. And in the case of capital cases, it's like they're holding them for a capital crime, which typically will, like, implicate the death penalty. So anyhow, because it was death penalty work, I was also praying about that and talking to people about that. Like, am I going to be able to handle this? This is going to be intense. But it just, I mean, that's one where I, I really feel like the door flung wide open. And um, I'm so glad that I walked through it. I God providing provided two great roommates that I live with, um, a husband and wife couple who quickly became good friends and showed me around Idaho. We got to do a ton of like fun weekend adventures and they took me camping and, um, but anyhow, the bulk of like the actual legal work was with death row inmates. It was more so like writing versus like relational kind of stuff, but there was some of that too. We had one guy who was on death row for over 40 years. Whoa. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he um, had committed a crime, I think, in his early 20s. From my understanding, he became a believer during that time and ended up, through the work of the office that I was interning with, ended up getting um, his death sentence dropped, essentially. Yeah, and so he... I've not kept up to speed with it recently, but he was basically, last I heard, waiting to have a judge decide whether to, like, hold him for the rest of his life in prison or um, to release him. I mean, he's in his 70s now. But, yeah, he would call us every morning, and I don't know what I thought going into the internship, like, conversations with death row inmates would sound like, but, I mean... Sometimes they were our conversations with him were so just casual, you know, like, oh, did you hear about this like news topic? Or have you played chess recently? Or he liked to tell us a joke every day on the phone. That was cool. I think just to like, get to see his humanity in a really clear way. And I would add to like, he in particular was remorseful for his actions. Like if you, if you asked him if what he did was wrong, um, he would definitely say yes. And that he regretted it. And he, he understood the impact it had on other people. And um, I think 40 years in prison will give you plenty of time to think through (laughs) every angle of that. So so yeah, that was some of the work. and then um, I was working from like the legal aspect on writing a portion of a brief that went to the district court in Idaho arguing that when Idaho or sentences someone to death, they have to prove one of like 12 things were present, basically, for someone to be like death penalty eligible. And one of the 12 things is that they um, took someone's life with utter disregard for human life. And so what I was writing about was that any person who would take another person's life has acted with utter disregard for it. Like that's inherent in the fact of taking someone's life. So to use that as a way to evaluate whether or not they, they warrant the death penalty is unconstitutional. And there are like fifth and eighth, I think 14th um, amendment like arguments I won't go into, but yeah. So I did a lot of writing on that and it was submitted and is currently pending in the district court because habeas legislation or litigation takes a really long time so tbd on what the outcome is there
0: so much good stuff in there oh so good so just so you all know like since andrea started law school she's been like my law information oh that's a scary thought no but it's it's so (laughs) fun for (laughs) me like (laughs) but you don't like dive deep you just give me like the top level stuff that I can, like, under like understand. Like, the way you explain that was so easy to understand to someone who's, like, so disconnected from that. It's funny because I started watching, um, She-Hulk while you were in law school, and I remember just texting you and being like, oh my gosh, this happened in She-Hulk, and I would just start thinking about different, like, I don't know, just, like, court and case stuff that I was just, like, curious about, or just, like, wondering how realistic it was. Again, She-Hulk is a Marvel show that I wouldn't expect to be <laughs> extremely realistic. I mean, she turns into a Hulk, so that probably doesn't happen. So yeah, so I remember I would just, I would be calling you, and I still do, and just be like, let's talk about this, let's talk about that, and especially, like, yeah, just that experience is crazy, and I wanted to kind of just shift real quick to, like, um the podcast I sent you a while ago um, about that guy who had a crazy transformation, and I'll link the podcast in the in the show notes. But basically, he he just got into re- some really bad stuff, made some really bad decisions, and was at a very very dark place. And just listening to this podcast, I felt heavy for him. Luckily, I knew that the end of the story was good. Um, but in it, he he was arrested for something and got to a place where he um, like got saved and. Like, was remorseful for his actions, like you said. And um, he talked to a judge. And um, the judge, like, said, I don't really do this. Like, I don't ever do this. But I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna let you go. Um, And again, you should just listen to the whole podcast because you'll get all the details. It wasn't that simple of a story, but I remember texting you and asking you to listen to it because I just wanted to hear your perspective as someone who like, I don't know if you're in the room and you were defending this client or you were on the other side, like what would be your thoughts and how do you feel about, I think we've just talked a lot about that tension of like mercy and justice, you know, and like, and as someone who's a believer and who believes in God's grace and mercy, but also cares for the people who are being oppressed, like, That's just a lot. So where are you at right now? Like how, how do you feel about all that? And what's your role moving forward, um, I guess, in the world to like show God's love through law?
1: I'm sorry. Can you ask some bigger questions? These are just, (laughs) you're giving me softballs here. (laughs) Oh man, Lindsay. Okay. Well, I don't know if I can answer all of that. Um, Okay. So first going to the podcast. So yeah, Guy, you know, clearly has violated the law and done things that like are morally like, like it's just beyond question, you know, like he's he's made some mistakes, as we all do. So here's kind of been a starting point for me as I've been in law school and wrestled with this tension that you identify between justice and mercy. As someone who has gotten some public defense experience thus far, people will ask me sometimes, how can you defend people that you know are guilty? You know, fair question. Obviously, the guy in this podcast was guilty. I think an important starting point to remember is that the way that our system is designed in the United States, we the law affords you a presumption of innocence until proven guilty. So just based, like, foundation level, um, the fact that someone's been accused of a crime does not, in fact, mean they've committed the crime. And in many cases... The evidence comes up or the lack of evidence comes up and that becomes clear. But obviously people do commit crimes. So moving on to the next layer that I used to na- analyze, um, we've also decided in our system that in order for someone to be held guilty, um, a jury or a judge has to find them guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And that's higher. That's a higher standard of proof than what you might have heard of preponderance of the evidence, which just says it's more likely than not. It's 51% likely that Lindsay stole the candy bar and it's 49% likely that she didn't. So she's guilty. So that's like one standard, but we're talking with criminal cases, reasonable or beyond a reasonable doubt. So if someone is guilty or if it seems like a lot of the evidence weigh in the, in the favor of them being guilty, The prosecution still has the burden, they still bear the burden of proving beyond a reasonable doubt that this person did, in fact, do the thing they're accusing them of. And sometimes there's decent evidence, but a jury, after looking at it, you know, a jury of our peers, of American citizens, decides, no, there's not enough here. Like, I can't walk away from this case and feel beyond a reasonable doubt that they committed the crime that they've been charged with. And so that's kind of another layer But as you and I have talked about, and as I saw in my work, especially this summer, sometimes you have a client who you think probably beyond a reasonable doubt did the thing that they've been accused of, and they get off. And by get off, I mean, like, either a jury finds them not guilty, or uh, to be honest, like, often there's a plea deal involved. And so maybe the state has said, if you admit that you've done this, You'll get a conviction on your record, but we'll give you time served and let you get out or whatever. But I think the hardest case is when the system has failed because our system is man-made. God did not institute beyond a reasonable doubt. That is an American justice system and more so like a Western framework for evaluating people in criminal cases. So the, the hard case is when you have someone that you know is guilty, like especially if a client were to tell you that they did it. That's protected by privilege, typically, attorney-client privilege. So you're representing them. And as a believer, you're like, this seems unjust because God loves, like God tells us so many times in the Old Testament how much he cares about justice. And we see Jesus maybe more so living out that in the New Testament. So this outcome seems unjust. If I've got a client who gets off, a jury finds them not guilty, or the case gets dismissed, when it's clear to me at least, that they did the thing that they're accused of. That's a hard situation. <laughs> I don't have the, great, the greatest answer, and it's something I continue to wrestle with. One thing that you and I talked about that sticks with me is that it's possible God's justice works different than our justice. What might seem like injustice in a moment, like someone who has violated um, a criminal law or, in some cases, a moral law, who does not face consequences for that in the short run. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. Like as we play forward the tape of that person's life, Lay Mis Robs. my mom's a big fan of Lay Mis. Like that, that story, I think kind of captures this idea a little bit. Just the idea that like people change, people grow. And sometimes as in the case of the guy on the podcast who made a lot of mistakes, it seemed like he got off sometimes, you know, like with that judge. And I remember maybe when he was crossing into the border once and had some drugs or something on him and he got waved through by an officer, like you can come on in, which like doesn't happen. So obviously like we're in a fallen world, justice isn't served every time, but, but I do wonder if in the grand scheme of things where God can see all of human existence on a timeline, if he does work justice down the road in people's lives who do benefit from a flaw in the system. So That's one thought. But as far as like justice and mercy, like working together and intention, I have started to become more convinced that although we so often in our culture talk about justice and how we want justice and social justice, I think what a lot of us really want in our core is mercy. And I think that Jesus is an example of God's willingness to let, I mean, it's, it's both, right? When Jesus dies, like it is justice because he's bearing the sin of the world with himself, but it's mercy because we are not the ones in his position, bearing our own sin. So I was, I was recapping a little bit or rereading before we started this podcast, the story of Cain and Abel, you know, very early on in the Bible. Um, I believe it's Cain, who kills Abel. And there's a punishment for that. He gets, I think, like banned from um, the geography where he is or whatever, and kind of becomes like a wanderer. So he's taken someone's life, but his life is not taken, at least immediately. God doesn't like strike him down. And I think that is maybe one of the earliest biblical examples we have of God not implementing what in our modern world might seem like justice would constitute, you know, life for a life, tooth for a tooth, eye for an eye, like, that kind of mentality. Um, Fast forward to David. I feel like it's easier to not like Cain, so whatever. But like David, a guy that we, we really think highly of, you know, a great king for Israel, obviously commits adultery, and then murders Bathsheba's husband out of guilt and shame, and ultimately repents of it. But God doesn't strike David down on the spot, doesn't take away his kingship, he continues to be king for a while. And then he bears a child, Solomon, who becomes like arguably one of the wisest people that's lived. So that that situation also feels unjust, depending on how you look at it. It doesn't feel like a fair exchange. David didn't get what we might feel he deserved. So bringing it like to a more personal sense, I think all of us, if we take a little time, will remember things we've done that are pretty horrible we're humans we're sinful and there's a lot of consequences that we should face and maybe have faced for our actions but i i believe that god has given us like the guy in the podcast he's given us a lot of mercy um he's i think he's remembered what jesus did for us on the cross for those of us who are believers and he's looked at that you know are like blood-stained mistakes and, and he's looked at it and he's seen Jesus like the white robe covering us and chosen not to completely obliterate us with his wrath, which I, I believe is what justice might require. I think it's hard to, to say that if you look at someone who's a mass murderer, for example, thinking about the horrible Situation in Maine from a few weeks ago. Um, it's hard to look at someone like that and to believe that justice wouldn't require that they would sacrifice their own life. I, I don't mean by like self harm. I mean like through the criminal justice system. It's hard to imagine that their life shouldn't be taken in that situation. But I think we have to remember where our starting point is. Like without Jesus, um, we're we're just as sinful as. I'm struggling to articulate this. Like, obviously, we haven't all taken someone else's life, but we all have sin. And sin keeps us separate from God. And he He can't be in our presence because of our sin. And so from that perspective, we're all on an equal playing field. And so for those of us who are believers who have been given this great gift of not having to bear eternal death and separation from God, which we deserve because of our sin, I think it makes it a little easier to look to someone who has taken multiple lives and trust that maybe God wants to extend that same kind of mercy to them. And, and, and to trust that in his, again, big picture scheme of justice, he knows what he's doing. Um, he's aware of all of our actions and he'll deal with it um, the way that it needs to be dealt with. I realize I'm saying some probably controversial things right now and it's hard (laughs) to be, to be speaking,
0: but that's kind of where I'm at. These are deep, big things. So I appreciate you sharing your, your thoughts. And, um, there's a difference between mercy and, um, consequences, I guess. Like there's a lot of times where God like gives us mercy. Like we don't get exactly what we deserve, but. He allows us to experience the consequences of our actions so that we learn and that we turn from that sin and turn and change, you know? And I think that's what our our system is for. At least that's what I want our judicial system to be for. You know, not to punish, but to be a way of, of like, legit consequences to keep other people safe. And so that eventually that person will be redeemed you know and like hearing about this guy who's on death row for 40 years and like meets Jesus in those 40 years times like he has eternal life with God so yes he may have he may have had to live 40 years in jail which I would never want to do or prison and maybe that's what he needed you know to like learn everything he needed to I've experienced some hard things in my life and, and especially over the past few years I've been like just wanting justice more (laughs) for different things that I've experienced. And I think what God has been showing me lately is kind of like what you're saying, like, that's not going to solve your problem. You like giving someone else what you think they deserve isn't actually going to like heal your heart. And I think about like, um, some people at work right now who've been a challenge for me and I've definitely been looking at them as like the enemy because of their actions, because of their words, because of their thoughts and like mindset on things. And now I'm just trying to like see more that like that person is like so loved by God. And they are have believed lies, they have given into like wrong thought patterns from this like evil force that's working in our world. And that's why they're making their decisions. So like God is helping me to kind of separate the person from the decisions they make. And not just want like that person to die or that person to suffer or that person to like get what they deserve and instead just be like, God, I can, I don't know what this person needs right now, but I'm going to trust you. Like you said, at the end of time, like he will bring that ultimate justice and God's heart is that we would all repent and turn to him so that we wouldn't have to experience that like final justice, whatever that may be. But God is good enough that he hates evil and he's like the root of it all that, the evil force, the devil, the Satan, whatever you want to call it, like he will be done. He'll be destroyed and we can actually live in peace, which is what we want. We want to live in peace, you know, you know, because we need Jesus for that. So can I add one little thing? Um, something that is
1: also helpful to me, uh, when I, you know, when I'm confronted with the tough cases, the situations where you know, by all people's moral standards, someone has fallen short. I I believe our um, trust in the depth of the gospel shines through like the degree of trust we have in the way that we evaluate people who have made decisions, like those who have taken life or done other horrible things. Because if I truly believe his death is enough to cover every single sin that someone would commit during their time on earth. And that if they choose to repent of their sin and believe him, believe that he's covered that, and to walk a new life with him, that like he is sufficient, like he is enough. There's nothing else that they would need to do for their soul to, you know, be indwelt with the spirit and then have like communion with God in heaven. If I truly believe that, then there is no... Sin that's too big or too deep. And if anything, it's almost like, particularly in the case of those on death row, like what could God do? If if they're given more time on earth, what could God do in those remaining years to show them more of his grace? Possibly even through us. Like I know there are programs where you can write letters to people on death row. But even if it's not like in a personal way that we're connected with, like what could God do with those last few years that they might spend in prison instead of having their life taken by human hands? That is something I come back to a lot, both because it requires me to like look in the mirror at the depth of my own sin and what it's amazing to me that God has forgiven. And then to turn outward and to see like, wow, what is the depth that God has forgiven for other people when they accept Jesus?
0: This was a pretty, uh, Deep topic, now that you say, <laughs> and and slightly, definitely, probably controversial. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> slightly, <Yeah>. probably,
1: definitely. <laughs> All of both. So,
0: yeah. So I'll just put it out there. If if you're listening and you you disagree, that is okay. And Andrea, especially, and I hope I'm similar, is the type of person that can be around people who disagree with her and. She's really great at like listening and and I think if you want to be in this career you have to, you know. So, yeah, I I understand this is heavy and especially for people who have who've experienced so much pain, who have had loved ones who have been murdered or there's so many just horrible things that people have gone through. Like that pain is real and I'm I'm right there with you with that like desire for justice and and just that uh, just horrible feeling in my body of like this isn't right you know but i encourage you to like run to jesus with that pain you getting um, vengeance isn't actually going to heal your soul but jesus can and um it it's a process and it takes time so let's just finish this up tell us a little bit about your other internship in texas and what you did there and kind of what you took away from that experience and then we'll close All right. Uh, Yes. So this past summer, I was in Dallas,
1: and I was working as a county public defender in Dallas County, um, which essentially meant I was meeting with clients who couldn't uh, afford to hire a lawyer on their own in the misdemeanor division. And the common misdemeanors that we worked with were like DUIs, unlawful possession of a weapon, small, like, possession of small amounts of drugs, um, some batteries, some domestic violence. that was kind of, like, the gist. But basically from, like, 8 a.m. to whenever we finished seeing clients, which sometimes was very late in the afternoon, I would meet with clients, um, hear about their case, negotiate with the prosecutors who represented, like, the state's goals, you know, um, and then oftentimes would like go in front of the judge to either help a client accept a plea deal, or there are a few other like random kinds of hearings, but I got to see so many different kinds of people in that job. It was very purposeful and meaningful in the sense that like, I was getting to sit down and be entrusted with very personal parts of people's lives, you know, Um, like mistakes that they had made that, sometimes, not all the time, but they were at least accused of making that they were now trying to figure out like how, how to deal with the consequences or potential consequences or to fight the case if whatever they were accused of didn't actually happen. Um, But just like, you know, people in vulnerable positions. And I think it was a privilege to be able to be trusted with their stories. And also just confronted with like, I think the brokenness of the city in Dallas a little bit, Um, the way that poverty and drug use and mental health issues kind of can all mix together to the point that, you know, we had some repeat clients during my short time, even this summer, like people who would reoffend maybe when they're on probation or something. So I think that was a wake up call just that, like, there is a cyclical nature often to, what, like, the circumstances that a person is in when they commit a crime. And, um, I mean, I think it definitely showed the value a little bit more of, like, why we need mental health services, places that those who are homeless can stay, where they have a shelter, even education, I think, about, like, the effects of drug use or, like, how to relate to people in healthy ways these kinds of things. Um, So yeah, it it was eye-opening. It felt gritty. Like I felt like I was boots on the ground in the thick of it. And I mean, it's Dallas, so it's hot and humid and you're like running around this courthouse in a suit every day. Yeah, it was a grind. I learned a lot about people. And like I said, I think one of the like highlights was just being able to like sit with people in a situation that I know is hard and uncomfortable for them and to try to like look them in the eye, listen well, ask questions so that they know that I care and um, hopefully give them a little bit of a sense of at least like being known and understood if I couldn't give them anything more when they walked out the door. Yeah, it it was really good. I guess I would add that I've decided after that experience that I, at least at this point in my career, don't wanna go into like county public defense. And I won't go into all the reasons, but part of it is just, it, it was draining for me. Like by the end of the summer, I was pretty exhausted. I'm an introvert. And there was just a lot of people interaction, which like I said, was good in the one sense, but it just required a lot from me emotionally and relationally that I just don't know that that's sustainable for me where I'm at right now. But I'm super grateful for the opportunity and definitely see the value of having people who care about public defense And, um, yeah, are just like willing to treat people who have been accused of crimes as human and make sure that they do all get up, they get all of their
0: due process rights and all that good stuff. It's very wise of you, um, to recognize that you were drained by the end of the summer, even though it was a good experience and you learned a lot. So yeah, props to you for that. And I think it's all, it's kind of full circle of what you said in the beginning about the first season of your 20s being like, you just feel like you're struggling and your friends kind of came around you and like just showed you who you are based not on what you did or don't do. And now you get to do that or it did do that for these these people, you know, and that is so beautiful that God used that experience and now you get to like share that with other people. And I know you're going to continue to do that just with any. Any people that you meet. Um, so, do you want to share a little bit about the next steps and where you're going next?
1: Sure. I'll keep it brief. Real quick, I did just want to say, like, thank you for sometimes your observations are so insightful. Often your observations are so insightful. And I just totally did not see that connection at all. But I think you're so right. I think that God, by putting me in a place where I was like so broken and vulnerable and like entrusting um, myself to others, like, he probably helped shape me to be able to be in that position for people this past summer. I never thought of that. (laughs) That's, it's so beautiful. Um, It is. It's crazy how he works like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yes, so after graduation, Lord willing, um, I will graduate in May and I'll take the bar uh, the Indian Bar this summer, so that will be a joy, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, and then I'm going to be moving to St. Louis to work for the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals in their staff attorney office, and so that'll be a judicial role. So kind of the in between ground between a defense attorney and a prosecutor. Um, it's it's more well. I shouldn't say in between ground, but it's like the neutral ground kind of, which I I do think is a good fit for where I'm at right now and how I like to think about things. So I'll, you know, I'll be able to research legal issues and there won't be like a client's outcome riding on whatever I discover. So I'm, I mean, not that I would like, you know, I would never hide or lie about the law, but sometimes you like try to see the law in the most favorable light for your client as a defense attorney, but now I'll be able to just have like very clean slate when I'm looking at it without any expectations or hopes about what the law, the case law might say. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll write up memos and um, they will get heavy editing by my supervisor. um, And then they'll go to one of the eighth circuit judges who hopefully will consider it when they're deciding there'll be different topics, but some immigration, some civil rights, some criminal, a little bit of everything. Um, and I, I just feel very, very thankful to have a job that I'm genuinely excited about that I think is supporting justice by helping the court make more informed and just decisions in light of precedent case, case law that's been decided previously. And I think also just knowing myself, it's going to be a little bit more of an introverted job Um, I'll have more time for like deep thought and reflection and writing um, alongside some coworkers that I think will be really cool. But I think for me, that'll be a better fit than being with clients all day, every day for eight or nine hours. So all that to say, um, yeah, I think God just, he knew what he was doing and he knew what he made me for. And it just feels like this job, though I know it won't be perfect is like, it's finally a direction (laughs) that feels so
0: much sweeter after having waited many years. It's been a joy to be with you on the journey. And I'm glad you've been with me on my journey too. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel, I feel so excited for you and know the roller coaster that it's been. And it's cool just talking about it today because it's like kind of reliving it and then just seeing God's faithfulness and his like little line throughout it all. So basically you're going to be Elle Woods, right? (laughs) You, yeah, you got it. You know me. <laughs> that's what I got out of all of this, is that you get to be Elwood.
1: <laughs> when, when Lindsay came and visited me a few weeks ago, when we were walking around the law school, she's like, yeah, there's like all this like wood on the walls and stuff. Like, it just reminds me of Legally Blonde. And I'm like, well, you know, that's great.
0: <laughs> I was going to say this at the beginning, but my only understanding besides high school and like learning different things is Legally Blonde. My cousin Vinny. Have you seen my cousin Vinny? I'm not, but I've heard that I should. Andrea, you need to. You <laughs> need to. It is so good and so funny. Yeah, so good. And then she Hulk. Those are my three like la, <laughs> la uh, pop culture stuff. That's all you need to know. Definitely not true like Having you in my life has just really made everything better. And it honestly like brings me back. Like there's things you say that I'm like, oh, I did learn that. Like that is deep in my brain somewhere and you just like unlocked it. So thank you for that. Thank you for your time. Thank you for all of your beautiful, wonderful, um, thoughtful thoughts. And um, just sharing them with my audience and sharing them with me. Thank you all for listening. And we'll see you later. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Grace for the Try Hard podcast. I hope you feel encouraged, empowered, challenged, and that you know that you are so loved by God. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening, as well as rate and leave a review. Talk to you soon.